Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. All right, everybody, what's going on? Welcome to a very special episode of the Nomad Strength Show. This is actually episode number 200, which is just kind of wild to me that that's even a thing, to be honest with you. When we started this project a couple, a little over two years ago, I know I wanted to use it as a way to connect with really awesome men and uh, and learn from really high-level individuals in, in strength and health and fitness and outdoors and business and high-level fathers. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to be able to do so, so much of that and more in the last 200 conversations. And I just want to first say thank you to all of the amazing guests that have been on the show over these two years, uh, so several of them repeat guests. I know a lot of them are favorites of yours. I get requested a lot of people that have yet to be on the show. and uh, But the people that have been on, I have extreme gratitude for and making the time to connect with me and uh, connect with you guys as the audience. And there's been some really awesome friendships and, and relationships that have been built through this podcast, which is really just uh, an awesome thing to be a part of. So the second thing I want to say is thank you to all of you guys who listen. Um, it kind of is, it's humbling for me and it's, it's amazing. And it's kind of ridiculous to me in the same, in the same breath to know how many of you guys are actually out there that enjoy the show and continue to listen to it on a weekly basis. Uh, we've only had two and a half I'm saying half weeks um, because we did a, like a half episode or a, a one episode that was shorter one week. We've only had two and a half, I'll say three weeks, I'll round up, three weeks in the last um, 114 weeks where there wasn't one episode. And throughout all that time, you guys have listened and 
you know, responded and interacted and reached out and said how much you appreciate certain episodes and certain topics and certain guests. And uh, we have just over 15,000 subscribers via the combined Spotify and Apple podcast platforms, which is just wild. And I want to personally say thank you to all of you. And I'm speaking on behalf of me and uh, and my, my good friend and producer of the show, Derek Seppi, who does all the amazing sound work, which you guys, when you hear and you, a lot of you compliment and say it sounds really well, um, 99% of that is him. And the only reason I say 99 is because there have been a, a few episodes where he's on a job somewhere doing sound design and I've got to fill in and, and splice the podcast together. And it's almost always noticeable when it's me that does the editing instead of Derek. So thank you to Derek as well. And then in the last handful of months, I know I'm speaking for him here, um, but Brandon and I really appreciate all of the love that you guys have given us in these last handful of months with the with the Ross and Brandon show being a, kind of a subset of of this podcast. And you know, it's I don't want to ramble on too long and, and drag this on, but it's just one giant thank you for everybody who's listened for 200 episodes now. And by the way, when I say 200, I'm leading that into and counting because we have have no shortage of things coming your guys' way over the course of the next hundred episodes. And a lot of it is going to be awesome. And and actually, I'll say this, all of it's going to be awesome. Some of it is going to be like in the stratosphere awesome. And there will be some announcements made over the course of the next few months. Sometime this summer, there'll be some things that we're going to lay out for you guys. And uh, I just, again, thank you all and, and continue to share and share this show and share what you think uh, with your friends. And then also, I really appreciate it when you guys reach out and leave messages uh, for me or for Brandon and even for Derek about um, things that you really connected with the show, whether it was a guest, whether it was a topic. Um, we really appreciate that. And, and it's just amazing to hear the stories and how much some of these episodes has helped you guys, because to be honest with you, they've helped me just as much, if not more than anything I've heard from you guys, just because of how therapeutic it is for me to be able to have these conversations and learn so much myself. And then to have you guys be able to be a bunch of flies on the wall to a lot of these lessons that I'm learning. It's really something special. So thank you guys again. I'm going to stop saying thank you and actually get into what we're doing with this episode as a little bit of a special episode. What I wanted to do with episode 200 was highlight a handful of the the most downloaded or the most uh, engaged or the favorite, you know, based on responses I got episodes from the last 100. We did this on episode 100, highlighting the first 100. So we're going to do the same thing right here with episode 200. And we're going to go back in time and we're going to hear from four different people. And we're going to have clips, kind of the best clips of their conversations, kind of as a best of uh, episode for you guys. So we have four amazing conversations. They're honestly, I would put them up there and four of my favorites that I've done in in all of the 200. Uh, there's obviously some that I'm, you know, we've we've left out. We've had <laughs> 70 something guests on the show, and so there's going to be some that are left out here. But um, we've got uh, an awesome clip from my friend Derek Woodski. We've got Corey Hawk. We've got Richard Love, and we've got Corey G. Corey Gregory and. All of these, I, I really enjoyed the conversations with all of these men because they were very engaging and very open to sharing what makes them successful and sharing a lot of things about themselves in the process. And those are always the shows that I think go really well when it's something we can open up and be vulnerable and learn um, about what makes someone tick and why they are the way that they 
JR. And all four of these guys had some awesome perspectives that they shared in, in, in all kinds of different avenues. And so that's why it was a good little mix of all of the things that we've done over the last hundred to highlight these four conversations. So I really hope that you guys dig this episode and thank you again for sticking around for this long. And if you're here for this long, I'm telling you right now, you're going to stick around for a lot more. So uh, I appreciate you all. Enjoy the episode and we'll chat soon. first camp right a couple weeks right before my freshman year and like you go in you're like oh there's like men that I'm playing with right. now you know like yeah. it's a totally different thing because you especially coming out of high school er, in college everybody yeah. was like everybody's the the big fish you know like that's always everybody always is when they when they get to college and then like I just remember thinking like walking around like there's a dude like he's married like this guy's got a wife <laughs> like, <laughs> like what is like, happening <laughs> like yeah <it's> crazy <laughs> Like it's so much different. And it's yeah. funny that you describe it that way because that's exactly, you're like beards and wedding rings and you're yeah. like, what? Like, I don't even know how to balance a checkbook. And these guys got like responsibility. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. and when someone has that level of responsibility, they're just going to hit you harder. Oh, like yeah. there's just, there's just, it's a whole different yeah. mindset, right? Everything matters to them and no, nothing's going to be soft or like half-assed. And, and we, used to see that in the JUCOs because we competed against Rick's college, right? And Rick's yeah. was a feeder system for BYU. Yep. <laughs> and so I got to see it on Bull. So, you know, at JUCOs, it was Rick's and that was our big rival because they were the hard, hardest to beat. Yeah. And then after Rick's, I was at Wyoming. So I saw the same athletes, if they were good enough at BYU, you know, right. and a little bit of Utah State, you know, but yeah. And that's when I think back on it and I, and I describe it, I, you know, I use like the LDS or the Mormon church as a good example of this because a lot of these guys are all two years plus two years older, older exactly. when they come into the system. And, yep. and anybody that's had to compete, especially against a freshman from BYU or a freshman from Rick's, and you're like, he's balding. <laughs> the dude is losing his hair, right? Like these just, there's something that happens from that 18 to oh, 21 so range where they, a lot of people become men. Like yes. they really become men. And yep. you're like, oh, that guy's just bigger and stronger than I could be right now. Like yep. I, I'm not there. I need time to catch up with that guy. So if you're beating him, you know, you're going to be fine down the road. But at the same time, you're like, uh, like we knew when it came conference time, it was between us and Rick's, yep. right? Because they were all bigger and stronger than everybody else. And some of the guys at Rick's were like 24 years old. Yeah, it's crazy. You know? 24 year old freshmen. And then they're just chasing the, the <laughs> clock to get through NCAAs after that. They're just exactly. like, okay, I got to get done. I got to get through because I, my clock's going to run out before I run out of eligibility. You know? Exactly. I remember uh, he's the same age. Actually, he might be one year. He's one year older than me. Uh, and we didn't compete against each other because he was a classification above me. But Taysom Hill played mm -hmm. in uh, like the state championship game when I was a junior, right before we played in the state championship game of football. So I like, like we were right there with him. But then he goes on his mission for two years, comes back yep. and plays at BYU and, or BYU or Utah State, one of those two. 
But anyways, he's like, uh, and then he played three years there or something like that. So like he's a, and he's like 26 or something like that. But like <laughs> yeah. by the time he's graduating yes. college and then like he, he goes in the NFL and he's like doing all right for the Saints and everybody's like, man, he's like pretty young. I'm like, dude, he's like 32. <laughs> like he's only been in the league like four <laughs> years though. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. That's exactly it. People forget about all that. And it's, and, and I'll tell you what, I don't care what anyone says. I had buddies that were. Uh, came back from their missions to North Idaho, which was yep. common too, right? So, yep. you know, and I remember having those conversations. I, and even to this day, my buddy that I went to school with, it throws me off when I talk to him because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. You're almost 50, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like we graduated yes. at the same time, yes, but exactly. you're way older than me, right? <laughs> and I had that thought all the way through college. And it was funny. Like I meet his younger brother, like his younger brother comes back from a mission and I'm like, Oh, you're, you're going to be a freshman. I'm like, Oh no, you're two years older than me. Right. Like it it (laughs) was never caught up. Nah, it's like weird math from the jump. And so it's kind of funny. Like when I, when I think back to when I competed against those guys and competed against even in that system, and then it gets so convoluted, right? Because Mm. there was some superstars come out of, uh, uh, Salt Lake that were, went away and did their missions. And then everyone always makes this comment. Don't worry. They're they're Don't worry. They're not going to train when they're gone for two years. (laughs) And when they get back, they'll be in terrible shape. Right. And it's like, you know, the first time you hear that, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Right. You believe it. But after your first year competing against these guys, against these guys, you're like, oh, oh no, that's not how it works at all. Mm -mm. Like they're young ish when they get back, right? So they're 19, 20. You can make up a year in about three months. Oh, it takes no time. It takes age. zero time. Yeah. I've watched guys come back off a mission from like Paraguay, right? Mm-hmm. Take a bunch of antibiotics because they had a virus in their stomach <laughs> and go from like 165 to 230 by the end of outdoor track and field season. Yeah, it's wild. And you're just like, yep. And if and if they're like uh, the two brothers from from Utah that were Olympians in the discus, they went away and did uh, their missions. Both of them, uh, the Arrhenius brothers, when they got back, they were still gigantic. Like those two guys didn't stop working out. Yeah. Right. They're not yeah, over there just like, like relaxing. You know? <laughs> exactly. They're riding bikes and lifting weights. That's right. all they're doing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. It's you know? it's. Uh, from a like performance standpoint, it, it's just making me think it's it's very interesting because we were talking about like this this time period where you know you can really kind of get away with a lot, right? And uh, just because of that age that you are, like you're you right. know, sixteen to twenty one, like you can put on muscle like nobody's business, and and it kind of doesn't matter what you do outside of the gym. No. But I remember like. And you're talking about sleep and how, like, that's one of these things that we're seeing a lot now. I mean, I can tell you, my my first two years of college, like, I was going to bed at 3 a.m. and waking up at 7 to go do breakfast checks for football. And then I was lifting at 7.30. And, like, I would just go through my day. I was running on, like, four hours of sleep a night. And that was just, like, what we did. And I was fine. But then... Yeah, because you're young, right? Exactly. And it didn't matter. And so you think, like, I'm, I'm wondering... Before, when we're talking about introducing like all these different training things that nobody had access to and, you know, like we're talking about CrossFit stuff and like it seems kind of now the recovery part of it 
is a lot more of what we're needing to focus on with that age group for that reason. Like, I mean, sure, yeah. you, you might be able to get away with it, but like if you're really trying to be good and, and optimize, like this has to be a much bigger part of what you're doing. 100%. Like, I mean, let's be honest. If you want to beat the Chinese, you can't be living in a lifestyle that doesn't have some level of disciplined regiment to it. Yes. Um, you know, especially at the Olympic level, those guys got it locked in. Now, you know, it, like you don't even have to have political conversations about anything. You want to talk human performance. You look at who your competition is. You look at what they're doing, regardless of the infrastructure or belief systems that are behind it mm-hmm. and be like, oh, well, they're winning and they do this. Right. And so when you start to look at those fundamentals, you start to realize they're cultivating an environment that is very broad in the spectrum of what they're doing training-wise, but very narrow in the result. Mm. And so that broad spectrum incorporates a lot of things from restoration, soft tissue, nutrition protocols, sleep protocols. Um, And even if you leave the tinfoil hat off and you leave the like exogenous uh, human performance aids out of it, right? The things that we can't really prove until after the fact, like, right. you know, with Icarus and like when the Russian program after the fact, they're like, oh man, those guys are loaded, right? Yeah. But you don't know any of that going in. So you can only look, as I always say, you can only control the controllables. So you have to see, okay, so take away exogenous whatever, which all that's going to do is allow them to shorten the training window, yep. meaning an athlete that needed six years worth of repetitions, they can do the volume to get it done in three or four, right? That's that's really all it does. It's it's, it's uh, exogenous performance additives, regardless of what they are. All they are is a upregulator of restoration, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's it. So yep. in, in theory, for those listening, it's this simple. It allows you to train twice a day and say, instead of once a day and still achieve the same level of restoration between sessions. That's it, yes. right? It's upregulating the metabolic function so you recover faster. So when you look at that fact and understand that you don't take a shot of something and it makes your muscle bigger, right? right? You actually take the shot of something that allows you to train twice as much, which makes the muscle bigger, right? right? That's the whole philosophy on it. They're actually, doing ex- they're actually doing extra work. They're actually doing point. extra, right? Yes. Yeah. So we used to say if you had four years to train an athlete and they were clones of one another, the one that will be more successful if all variables are the same is the one that can train more in that four years. Yep. Yeah, so you got to remember, like, when I'm in that, there's no internet at that time. You know what I mean? So, like, I yeah. couldn't just Google and watch videos on YouTube of, yeah. of of personal trainers. Like, I didn't know a personal trainer. I had heard the program I came to Columbus to be in, it was the first year of it. So, it was like a one-year, it was like a one-year version of a, of a personal training certification is the best way to explain it. Yeah. And, like, to me, I was like, all right, I need more than a weekend seminar I, yep. I should go to school at least for a year. It was reasonably priced because community college, I could pay for it myself. But I had go, grown up reading all the Arnold stuff of being dedicated and, you know, mm-hmm. him where he came from. And I think that when I got to meet him um, and got to relay like my authentic story to him, that's why he vibed with it because he knew yeah. I had to put a ton of work in to get there. And so like, yeah, he he's a massively impactful on the entire industry. Right. But to, to say that I'm a person... 
that I was able to learn from him personally and still am to some degree. Like I see him a couple times a year. It's like to say that that's given me confidence in a lot of things is an understatement because if sure. Arnold fucking believes in you, bro, <laughs> yeah. like, like once, so when I'm going into that meeting to originally try to pitch that, I thought to myself, if I don't come out of here with this man being my business partner, I'm never going to forgive myself. Like yep. this, I don't get this shot again. Yep. And once I do what I know I can do, my belief in myself with utilizing Arnold's, you know, skills and all the videos and like what I knew was possible, which mm -hmm. happened, it would, uh, I would stand by him in some way the rest of my life, which I have, because you can't take me not next to him for that period of my career and yep. things that I learned and the way that I've operated a lot are, are based around how I, things I learned from Arnold, for sure. Well, and you mentioned like you're not going to get that shot again, but no. also nobody is going to get that. I mean, because at the time, like he there, he'd never done anything, tied himself to like a supplement company at all. Yeah, except for like the old days with Weeder, you know what yeah. I mean? So and like he said that, that in the meeting, he said, yeah. Joe had just passed away. He said, I told Joe that I wouldn't work with another company, you know, basically till yeah. he was done, done. I mean, yeah. So yeah, there, there's not another, I mean, he had done a project right after ours that was a little different, but like mm -hmm. we gave it a hell of a run. Uh, the content was dead on. It had a lot yeah. to do with, you know, I'm like, for lack of a better way, probably like a 1970s bodybuilding, like historian in my own way. Yeah. Because I had no other access to any other content. Yeah. That's all I consumed. Even powerlifting I got into later as I got older, then yep. that's when the West Side stuff kind of came around. But it's like the original stuff is the only stuff I had access to. Franco Colombo's pamphlet series, the Arnold Encyclopedia, and the Education of a Bodybuilder, which is really kind of like a motivational like book too. Right. And so yep. that's really what I had access to. That's it in magazines. It's, it makes me think too, uh, like in, the, in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, he talks about like how circumstances and certain times in history, like people born around these times and locations where they are. He, he mentions like all the guys in Seattle and the tech boom, like, yep. you know, all those guys were all born in the 50s. They all lived in the Seattle area. Like that was kind of fostering this environment for them to be successful anyways. And I think about like, where you are in like the Columbus area of Ohio, where West Side's there, like the Arnold Expo Classic. is there, like the Arnold Classic's there. I mean, there's like kind of this hotbed of fitness stuff that's like real. Rogue, Rogue is there. I mean, it's kind of like this crazy area of the country where it kind of just, the identity of it is health and strength, right? It was, uh, and you know what's funny is, uh, Ross, I think you'll laugh. I didn't come here because of any of that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I did not know any of those things when I moved yeah. here. So I came here because my friends were going to Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. That's literally the thought. Like, I was like, I gotta, right, that sounds good. I got to get good. out of this town. I'm not going <laughs> yeah. to Ohio State, but Columbus State, which is a community college, had the one yeah. year. I didn't come here because, well, Rogue wasn't even started yet, but right. I didn't come here because of West Side. Even though I had seen West Side at a meet, yeah. but I didn't know what I was watching. I didn't come here because the Arnold Classic. I didn't even know what the Arnold Classic was. Yeah. Like, so, you know, I wish I was that smart, but the strategy was, <laughs> it was by, you know, cause originally a lot of my friends, including Dustin, I owned the gym with, they were mm -hmm. at university of Cincinnati. They transferred oh, okay. the next year to Ohio state. And that's how I ended up in Columbus. Then I started realizing, I think it was about half a year later. I was like, wait, I can, I actually ended up selling programs at the Arnold classic. And that's then crazy, I started dude. 
there was a couple big NPC guys here too, Mike Francois, mm-hmm. Mike Davies, which were like huge in that world. And then you had, once I understood like the West Side thing years later, mm-hmm. then I started realizing like, wait a second, I'm positioned in a really good spot that every year in March, everybody in the industry is here. I could walk mm-hmm. up to every magazine. I could walk up to every supplement owner. And it was definitely an advantage for me, no, no question, on, on accident. And again, it's just being in that area, but then also capitalizing on that, you know, like, cause I'm sure there was all kinds of guys that were personal trainers around that time that weren't like just out in front of the door, handing out programs to people. And they would just show up as guests or, you know, we'll just want to go partake, but you're actually out there hustling, trying to build something. And that's the stuff that when you're really early on and you're just, and you, you know, you're young and you have the time and there isn't like the responsibility a lot of times of wife and kids and stuff, that's what you have to do to build up all that equity for later on. So, I mean, it's kind of just cool that in that hotbed, you're able to even capitalize on that as well. Yeah, just building relationships constantly, man. Like yeah. that that was my thing. Like I was the annoying dude that just wouldn't go away. I mean, that's been pretty, <laughs> pretty much my entire career. I've never been like some clear, unbelievable outlying yep. stud. Like I just am a grinder. I, I feel like I get extraordinary things out of an unextraordinary type of situation and mm-hmm. I've made it what it is, but by with people, a lot of people help and belief. And that's why I don't really yeah. ever use the word self-made. Cause that doesn't really, it doesn't really work. You need so much help mm-hmm. along the way. And I got that from Arnold. Cause he, a lot of people would help, try to deem himself made. And he's like, man, a million people had to help me get here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's why when he sees somebody got something different to him, he usually, you know, highlights that and would do things that I'd be like, Arnold, really thinking about like having me come do this? Like, <laughs> he's even thinking about me today. Like, he does. Right. But once you're in his like stratosphere and in his circle, man, he's unbelievable. So I'll be forever indebted to not just the things that he's taught me, but his belief, even mm-hmm. if it was for one second. Like, and this is one of the tattoos I'm going to get at some point. Um, but one time he introduced me at, I was at Venice Gold's like working out with him or whatever. And there was this guy from Belgium there that he knew. And he, he introduced me as somebody he knows, what did he say? He goes, Corey's a friend of mine that knows how to work hard and I trust. Mm. That's how he introduced me. Doesn't get much better than that. And, and the guy that he was with looked at him like, damn. I'm sold. I wrote it down because I never wanted to forget it. I might have chopped it up, but that's that's literally what he said in the gym. And the guy was like, oh shit, well, I better meet this guy. So, you know, when I heard that, I was like, man, if I've impressed upon my idol to this level, I just Mm -hmm. need to keep doing what I'm doing. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. And he even told me like, after kind of, you know, we both had departed from the company we were working with, like, Hey, not everything works out or finishes the way you want it to. It's all how, what you do next. I want to, you know, the cynic in yeah. me that just is preparing for like all of the end of the world stuff, right? But on a very practical sense, like those kind of things doesn't have to be like this massive undertaking to get a couple chickens and like start the process, you know, and learn skills that are going to be that are going to benefit you in some way. Like it, it can be just small things at a time. So it's cool that you've like got that approach kind of in all of those different areas. Yeah. You hit on a couple of things there actually. Um, the first one being the organic lifestyle, right? That kind of is where the name for the business came from mm-hmm. because I was hiking in the mountains with one of my, with my best friend from my childhood a few years ago. And we were coming up with these different names for businesses and things because it had gotten to the point where, 
I was selling enough bows that uh, it was it was starting to replace my income. So I had to start thinking about like making this an official business and you know possibly sure. quitting my job and going full time. So we were brainstorming on ideas and. After many failed attempts, he just said, what about organic archery? <laughs> like you kind of have this lifestyle, you know, with the organic foods and just the organic, I don't know, beliefs in all things, I guess. So I thought that that mm-hmm. had a nice ring to it. So went with organic archery just because it does kind of describe yeah. the lifestyle that I at least strive to live. Not everybody's perfect all the time. I still like mm-hmm. to smash a, you know, a large pizza every once in a while or go out for burgers and beers just like everybody else (laughs) but uh and then uh, the other thing is like about the end of the world right you're saying you're always thinking about that and just what's going to (laughs) happen and not that not let's preface this not to say like i'm some doomsday prepper kind of guy but it's like you can just see things and be like okay maybe i need to start working on some stuff over here right like trying to become more self-reliant than I previously was. Like, I don't have some big, huge shelter. Not to say that wouldn't be awesome still, but yeah. like, yeah, I just wanted to preface that. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about it too, like making myself more self-reliant and not in a prepper type of way because yeah. I, sometimes I think it's kind of a little bit comical when people, you know, you watch these prepper shows and stuff and they're great entertainment. And there's people in like downtown right. Washington, D.C. with like, two years worth of food supply in their studio apartment, you know, in a crowded inner city area. And I'm thinking, okay, come on, like how long can you really, and they've got a taser for protection, you know, and it's like, you're going to tase your, you know, you're going to tase everybody to protect your two year food supply in the middle of an inner city. So some of it's pretty comical, but I don't think that the, I don't think that the end of the world maybe necessarily has to look like the zombie apocalypse or nuclear war. Like, as far as I'm concerned, it might just be sort of the dissolution of, or like the dissolving of the modern systems. Like, maybe we can become a little bit more small community, a little bit more self-reliant as we realize that some of these bigger systems that we've been operating on are so fragile and just... uh, untrustworthy and they fluctuate in prices and and we fluctuate in supply and demand of everything and 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 inflation and all this stuff maybe the end of the world just looks more like people the end of the known world we'll call it being more like people um Mm. just becoming more self-reliant and being able to provide provide for themselves so, so that maybe some of these mega stores and these you know technopolies and just these giant industries that control everything, maybe they start to lose some of their power as we become more self-sufficient. Maybe some of the mega grocery store chains start to lose their ability to, you know, give us fear with pandemics and things like that by, by jacking up our food supply. Like who cares if you can produce your own food? Yeah, it really is kind of like the biggest way of rebellion in a way against like a massive system like that is to not need the system rather than like, you're not like actively fighting against it, but you're just like, okay, go do your thing. I don't even need you. You know what I mean? And so it's like, if there was enough people that did that, I think you'd start to see a lot of that stuff you're talking about where it's like there, you know, there's this pocket that's growing of people that no longer need all of these things that the structure has put in place to, you know, whether it's control the, the information that's being put, given to them or controlled like food supply or like whatever it is like as long as you can be in a place you're like whatever go do your thing i'm gonna be over here i don't need you like that almost is <laughs> that's that's almost more effective than like actively fighting it yeah, in some degree for sure <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's a it's a really 
man, you're going to get me into like my, like stuff that I need to start doing in the house. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like dozing off thinking about yeah. all these things already again. Like we've got, uh, you know, we live in town in a, you know, relatively large ish area, but have close to a quarter acre total, which is plenty of room for, you know, family of soon to be four to, you know, two kids and be able to grow what we need and hunt what we need for the, I mean, like, you know, I think that's kind of one of the misconceptions also is when people start to get into this realm of living, whether it be growing your own food or whatever it is, it's the concept that's like, I need a million things to start right away. And I, I don't have nearly enough space as whatever you want. You know, there's all these just kind of false barriers that people would try to put up. It's like, well, just start with one thing that you know you can handle at whatever level that is and get really good at that. Whether it's like maybe just get one or two chickens or one and like replace where you get your eggs from. Like, like just worry about that first. And then from there, it's like do with what do what you can with what you have. And I think that a lot of people, it's like the paralysis by analysis thing getting started in a lot of this stuff. And so I don't know if that was like the same kind of thing with you. And I mean, you seem like to the point now and maybe I'm wrong, but like where you've got a good, at least a good handle on the things that you do have. But a lot of people, it's like, well, he's, he's making bows. He's, he's gardening. Like he's doing, he's doing all this stuff. And he never needs to leave his house because <laughs> he's got all this stuff there. It's like, I don't have any, I don't have any of that. Like, how do I even start? You know, so was there some kind of like, what were the kind of the steps in a lot of this stuff that you guys took on your place to, to kind of get to some of these points where you feel comfortable with? Well, we we're on about one acre and we we're kind of in a small town, mm-hmm. but there are people around. I mean, I have neighbors and we're in a community. So it's uh, and we're, you know, 15 yep. minutes away from a major city. So we're not remote by any means, but, uh, just starting small. Like I, I look at a lot of, I read and watch a lot of these urban farming type guys and they'll just talk about like, yeah, so you've got a third of an acre, but what do you have? A third of an acre of grass. What does grass do for you? Okay, cool. You've got a lawn, a grass, you got to maintain it. You got to mow it. You got to, uh, whatever. If you're into the fertilizer and all that stuff, we don't spray our yard or anything like that, but maybe you've got fertilizer. Maybe it's a summer long side project that you're constantly working on just to mow your grass and it does nothing for you. Most people don't care about their grass. Most people don't spend a lot of time in their grass, you know, so why are you not maximizing that space to create a small garden? Even just something as small as an eight by 10, which could produce more than enough food for you and your whole family over a growing season. And then as you start to overproduce on your property, you can start to think about preservation methods that solves the long-term food issue or the cold season food issue. And then also if there's even more surplus than that, you can start looking out into ways to support your community, whether it's giving away um, extra produce that you've created, or, I mean, there's tons of local rest the, the, everybody's all about the farm to table stuff right now, the locally grown, like support the urban farms, do all this type of stuff. So what, you know, like you've got outlets to get rid of cash crops if you're making things like, you know, spinach and kale and stuff like that. But we definitely started small. Um, like, for example, with the, the bow building, I, I, you just have to start. You just got to work with what you got. I, yeah. I started like nine years ago in the basement of a musty old apartment complex, you know, it just had a basement under it. And I would, I built a little workbench down there out of some scrap wood. And I had a couple basic tools 
and I learned and I just started with what I could source and then it started to grow a little bit and I started to maybe get more interest in it. So I would invest in more tools and eventually put myself on the internet a few years ago, which, you know, helped it grow some more and get some traction. And then, um, you know, I worked up to the point where now I have a detached garage from the house that I've converted into a fully functional like bow making shop where three or four people can, where three or four people can, you know, work at the same time. But people only see the end product. They only see like, oh, this guy's got this cool shop with all these specialized tools. And it's like, yeah, but I started in a soggy old basement with no windows, um, with like a rasp and a draw Mm -hmm. knife and a crappy old bench, bench vice on a homemade wooden bench. So you just got to start with what you've got. And, uh, I mean, the last couple of years we've been doing smaller scale gardening, like lots of herbs, just tomatoes, um, stuff that's very easy to grow in a small, like it's probably only like a four by eight bed. And so we're expanding again this year, but I mean, we started small, just planting herbs and planter boxes. And so we're moving finally to a large scale garden this spring. So, and that's been, three that's been two years of just progression so just just start with what you've got and you'll you'll learn things along the way i think people think that they have to just go you know balls deep and like build this huge garden then when you crash and burn you crash and burn hard and like you lose your whole garden or you know you you have to have this learning experience (laughs) on this humongous project where you could have just started with something small I think that the sandbag itself takes us back immediately to a primal existence. And I don't have to go back to when we were living in cage in caves. I'm not referring to that, but like my grand grand my grandfather and you know all my ancestors before him, they were working their farms. You know, they were lifting up bags, heavy bags with soil or with food or whatever it might be. It's like that's how you train your body. And these guys were fucking savages yeah they weren't getting their strength from you know having two dumbbells to to look a certain way that shift happened i don't know exactly when it took place but like the whole desire to look a certain way overtook our ability to actually perform as a motherfucking unit now all of a sudden we're splitting our body up into different muscle groups and training on Tuesdays back and by and then chest and try and then we do calves on one day and then we do a little bit of a cardio you know on a Friday but it's like what the fuck like that whole narrative of the fitness blueprint I've been trying to question that from the moment that I found out that hey somebody's actually listening to me when I'm sharing things on Instagram and on TikTok for example I'm going to continue pushing everything that I feel is fucking wrong not wrong Let let me take the word wrong back I'm thinking that there's so much more to experiencing and feeling fulfillment if you base your training on performance rather than only to look a certain way. You being not happy with yourself because you're not at 6% body fat when, you know, according to your plan that you follow, you should be at five at this time. Like, how the fuck? You would never be satisfied if you look inside of the mirror and be like, no, not today either. My symmetrical shape is not there. Like, I I understand that training focus and I welcome everybody to participate in some form of, you know, building of their physique, but performance focus will build character, not only muscles, but it will build character. 
for these young kids that are now in front of their phone and constantly seeing, you know, all juiced up trend um, junkies pushing shit into their system and like, hey, bro, all you need to do is buy my protein powder and you as well can look like me like that. Who the fuck came up with that stupid idea? And these kids are like, okay, okay, I need to have trend. Yes, check. And I need to have protein powder and pre-workout. Check, check, check. And then I need to consume multiple energy drinks throughout the day and forget about sleep. You know, there's nothing that an energy drink can fix in the morning. And I'm heading to the gym. And this vicious cycle, like if we go down that rabbit hole, there's so much that is for free that should not be fucking in our face. Social media should be used as an asset. It should not be used as a comparison tool. Porn being so accessible to us. I used to remember when I was a kid and seeing like magazines at the gas station that had nude women, but they were all in plastic and you really had to like scoop like really far up to see what those breasts look like. Like that's what that was my experience with like of another woman. Nowadays you just you can jump on a Pornhub and like click categories from A to Z exactly what you want. I don't think that this is so good. You know what I'm saying? Like these kids have porn, social media, energy drinks, very fucked up role models portraying an image of how a man should look like. So all of a sudden, you have no foundation to build character. You're only focusing on building a certain type of look. But building character by pushing your fucking self, being able to run for lift heavy, lift your body weight, swim in the ocean, go out when it's super cold. Like there's so much more fulfillment in my humble opinion coming from that. And not only that, but the the thing that they they're they're chasing often at the beginning with that aesthetic, right? Uh, what they're actually looking like. That actually ends up happening too, just as a byproduct of doing all of the things that you're saying. It's not one hundred percent, but it's not the thing that you're chasing. It just ends up happening because of yes, all of the other things. It reminds me of a uh, a story of another um, another coach named Max out of at, back in California, and he was telling the story one time. He was training a he was training a woman who like had just the number on the scale thing where like right. it was her everything she focused on was this number on the scale and and she was you know fit she was like a former gymnast she wasn't overweight or obese she was actually really fit she was like he said like 121 pounds or something like that but she said she had to be at 117 like one like she had to be at one and he's like well why and she couldn't give a good reason he's like so it's just about a lower number on the scale then right and so she's like yeah and he's like okay well let's just start weighing in and in kilograms instead because that number is going to be way yes. lower. He's like, that's going to be, that's going to be like 50 something kilos. 50 is going to be way lower than 117. If that's all you're looking for, then let's just do that and get around. Yes. It. And it, so, so good. <laughs> Such a good advice, man. Yeah. Like, like it's funny how, how things have progressed from, you know, fitness throughout the time that you and I have been alive. Like how each decade will focus on different aspects of training. Like yeah. there was the weight, there was the scale then it was a bmi then it was like okay the bodybuilding phase and then everybody looks so like what the fuck is this guy doing who's doing crossfit what the fuck is that about then crossfit had its stage or main stage for some time being Mm -hmm. um and and i think that the main thing that as a young savage or even for us who are a little bit older never fucking 
talking, stop testing new things. I have a very hard time with people who are like, you know what? I'm a runner. I don't lift weights. Ah, uh, I'm a bodybuilder. I do not run. Or right. you know what? I'm a yogi. I do not swing kettlebells. Why do you want to categorize yourself into something only when we have this long of a timeline that we call life? And then after that, we're gone. Like contrast makes life. I'm telling you, when Kelly, my wife, first introduced me to yoga, I was like, this is like mixed martial arts with myself. Yeah. It's the most <laughs> toughest fucking thing I've ever done. I'm trying to bend and maneuver and I'm almost feeling like I'm choking myself out, like yeah. involuntarily. I can't breathe. Like, holy shit. And then swimming in the ocean. Oh my God. Like, and then people choose to, you know what? Uh, I don't eat uh, meat. I don't eat plants. Like, my wife and I, she have introduced us to try being raw vegan, vegan, vegetarian, carnivore, pescatarian, only because we wanted to understand how these ways of eating would benefit us or not benefit us. Now I know what works best for me. Now she knows what works best for her. But to have the fitness industry just push into your mouth hole that you need to eat, you know, white rice, chicken, asparagus, spinach, and a few protein shakes. Come on, bro. There, there, there should be so much more to that. And there is so much more to that. There's a fucking birthright of ours that we need to understand what cold water therapy does to our body. And that doesn't mean that you need to have a, a tub with ice. No, you can go into the fucking shower and take a cold shower the first thing in the morning. The amount of benefits that that brings to us is fucking enormous. What happens to our body when we don't eat? Like fasting, intermittent fasting. Okay, I'm not saying that intermittent fasting is a solution for every problem, but to stay away from food actually activates our autophagy, which is our recycling feature that our body kicks into and gets rid of dysfunctional cells on a fucking cellular basis. But this is how we can get fucking rid of diseases and shit that goes on in our body that we have no idea about. Like these things should be given to us, but nobody can monetize on the fact that you're not eating or the fact that you are actually sleeping well. Okay, how can we go to bed and sleep more rather than having to have to have all these influences like, bro, if you don't wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, you are not successful. Okay, I understand the concept of waking up early and getting your day started, but what if you get four hours of sleep? You will be lethargic as fuck. Yeah. Rather, set a fucking timer that today at 8 p.m. I'm closing off all devices, my phone, shut off. My TV, no, I'm not watching anything after 8. So you can get into circadian rhythm and you can get a fucking nice amount of melatonin production happening without you interrupting that with blue light coming into your retina yeah. and having your mind think that, hey, it's fucking daylight, we should not be sleeping. Now let's produce some more cortisol and adrenaline. Like, there's, why don't people talk about these things? Well, it can't be monetized. Yep. You know, the more time we spend on our phone, the better, the bigger, the more money the big man gets, you know? So exactly. And we need to do our part even better here. You and me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah.